You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 273. If you're going through hell, keep going. Winston Churchill. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters, David Goyer, from who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote... The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. I wanted to bring on a guest. His name is Lucas McNally, and he he's dealt with depression and uh, as a filmmaker and, and the kind of almost paralyzing depression that he had and how he broke through it. And I hope that this conversation helps filmmakers and screenwriters around the world know that even if you are in hell, like Winston Churchill said, uh, you got to keep going and go through it. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lucas McNally. I'd like to welcome to the show, Lucas McNally. How are you doing, Lucas? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I read an article in, uh, in Movie Maker about uh, how you uh, spent better part of a decade trying to get a movie finished, and I we're going to definitely get into the weeds about <laughs> the insanity of that because we're all insane because we're filmmakers because that sure. just comes along with the with, <laughs> with the package. Uh, but but before we even get to that part, how did you get started in the business? What made you get into this insanity? <laughs> yeah, well, because I didn't know any better, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> I was not into film like at all when I was a kid. Like I was into sports. I was a like, big basketball, baseball person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to do sports broadcasting and, you know, be the next Bob Costas. Uh, sure. So and then in college, my senior year of college, the student activities or whoever said, hey, we're going to try to do a film festival this year. And I thought, well, that'll be fun. Let's try that. And so me and a buddy of mine uh, just decided to make a film. And I'm like, how hard could it be? It turns out it's very hard. <laughs> um, and like, I didn't know how to use the camera. Like right. I shot most of it. And like the very first day, 
we're just i'm like how do you even turn this thing on like couldn't get it on the tripod and then we ended up winning the thing nice so from that point i was like well this is a lot of fun kind of got yeah. hooked on it and then that's you know. the and then of course a downward spiral ever since <laughs> yeah been, and that is where all the blame lies <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the peak sure. the, the one award yeah you know it's it's amazing i got my award i haven't won anything since i don't think <laughs> yeah exactly right you get that one award at this at a film festival and you're like i think i can go with this and then you're just like wait a minute it's not that easy uh <laughs> There's a, a lot of beginner's luck, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, good timing, good timing. So then tell me, man, what, uh, tell me about Upcountry, man, your film Upcountry. Sure. Uh, the journey of it, why it took 10 years to make, how did you keep, there's so many questions. So tell me how it got started in the first place. Well, depression is a hell of a drug, so that's the short version <laughs> of it. Um, the long version is, so um, I was, I was living in Pennsylvania for a while, and then I ended up, after a breakup, I was back in Maine, and I kind of needed to do something. So I was like, well, we have this hunting camp in the woods, and crowdfunding had just started. And I was like, well, I'll crowdfund a movie, and we'll just make, we'll just shoot a, we'll shoot a movie. And so that was the easy part. Uh, we crowdfunded four grand, and I got people from, um, from around the country to come up. Basically, the four grand was to, for plane tickets and food. And we shot it in a week. We shot seven days in the woods, sun up to sundown, trek out into the into the woods, and you know, just shoot all day. And then we, I cut it, and everything was sort of going to plan. I did a year without rent after that, and I edited. I finished editing it um, to picture to picture lock on a year without rent, and then we were sort of chipping away at the sound mix. In, and it's, you know, it's the $4,000 film. So it's when people have time to do it. Right. Uh, and then we were in a festival in, I want to say 2012 or 2013, and we got bumped. And I was getting plane, I was literally getting plane tickets to go to Philly to sound mix it. And to like, you know, do like four hard days of sound mixing. And it got bumped, and I was like, well, I guess we don't necessarily need to do this right now. And the sound editor is like, well, I can have this paid gig, so um, do you want to just push it a couple weeks? And a couple weeks became a couple more weeks. And then it was sort of, we chip away at it over email, and then and it just sort of got away from me, you know? It's like that thing that just sort of becomes, you know, the, the gaps become longer in trying to get the thing done and without that fire of the thing. And it just sort of like snowballed on me. And before I knew it, it was like two years had passed. And so I was you like, made, so you had shot, so this is not a film you shot over 10 years. You had shot the no, film. No, I it shot the film. in yeah. the can. It was, it was in the can, it, it was final cut. We had a score, we just needed the sound mix. And I just couldn't get, and then, you know, it's just sort of, you look up and like two years have passed and then, you know, your life sort of takes over on you. And it just became this thing. I just sort of fell in this depression about it. And I couldn't get it fixed. And then, like, my computer died. And I, w and I lost Final Cut 7. Oh. And I wasn't sure I was going to be able to even, like, revive it. And then it also, just, like, it, so is, hard. it just became this thing in my head, you know? So, so wait a minute. So it was kind of like The Shining. Uh, but you weren't in yeah. the lodge. Um, so... Yeah. But so you mean to tell me then then your computer failed, so you had no backups right. of the thing and you couldn't get 
Final Cut Seven. Yeah, I had I couldn't get Final Cut Seven back, and then it just became a thing where like I was afraid I had lost the film. Yeah, you know, and so but I but I couldn't. It was a little bit of that like Schrodinger's cat, you know, like as long as I didn't know for sure that I had lost the film, the film was not dead, mm-hmm. you know. But the minute I was like, if I look that then, then I it might be dead. And then I don't know what to do about that. And so it just like it just threw me into like this really deep funk creatively. And I just couldn't do anything like I was just trapped by it. And it sounds really dumb in retrospect, mm-hmm. but a lot of depression sounds really dumb in retrospect. Oh, yeah. you know, you're Absolutely. just like, you're just like, I just couldn't get out of bed. And you're like, how the fuck could you just not get out of bed? Like, just get out of bed. Yeah. I mean, you know? from the outside looking in, I mean, when you're depressed, it's hard from somebody out looking in outside to understand what the, the depressed person is going through and, and what's triggering them inside. Cause I've, I've been there. We've all been there and, and at certain lo- at different levels yeah. as well. But and uh, I just and couldn't I, like face the idea of like having to tell everybody that the film was gone wait that's the thing i was going to tell you like what did your actors think like i mean because actors are like i'm waiting for this them. yeah they I, they had I to they, they had gotten already had gotten clips for the reels and that's all so. they cared about <laughs> <laughs> probably all they cared about. yeah they were like i think they just sort of stopped asking and people would ask and i would just i just didn't know what to say so i so would just sort of ignore it or change the subject so you would literally you literally spiraled um yeah decade, yeah for, i totally spiraled you spiraled and kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this depression and which kind of paralyzed you from moving forward. Creatively, yeah. Creatively, yeah. Yeah. And then like in that time I bought a house, I got married, I had a kid. So I was really busy. Right. So that was sort of the excuse, I guess. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You but, know? Let me, but let me ask you a question. So, because I've, but I, you know, couldn't, I couldn't write. The I've whole been, time. dude. I've been there. Trust me. I've, <laughs> I mean, I haven't, I haven't had a feature. I haven't gone through your steps, but I've gone through my own steps. Where your sister's this depression. How did this? How did your depression creatively affect the rest of your life? Because I know for me, I was, I was an angry and bitter dude walking around when I couldn't get certain things done, or I was a year or two. You know, I wrote a whole book about my first experience, you know, making almost making a movie for the mob that destroyed me for three years. Like I just I literally hid in a garage sorting comic books uh, because I just was I was t- terrible. I didn't I didn't pick up a camera for three years after that. So yeah. I, I, I get it. So how did that affect the other? And parts so of quickly, your life? like it, it becomes three years, like just like that. Oh, oh in, instantly. You you're just like, look how, around and you're like, that happened. You're like, wait a minute. Did a year just pass? Wait a minute, did two yeah. years just pass and you get busy doing other things. But. You know, how did how did that affect the rest of your life? Because, I mean, I, as a filmmaker and as an artist, it's a very big part of our existence. Right. So how did that yeah. affect the other parts of your life? Well, I'm from New England, so I'm an angry and bitter dude anyway. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my starting point, you know? That's your um, baseline, baseline. Yeah, baseline. So people didn't really notice. They're like, oh, he's just in a bad mood today. Um, <laughs> everything felt like, for a long stretch there, for probably three or four years, I was like, well, I guess I'm just done. I guess my film career is done. You know, it just felt like that to me. And I had sort of resigned myself to that fact in a lot of ways. And I like really missed it. But I was just like, well, I guess I'll just pour this energy into other stuff. And so I got into running a lot. And I started organizing road races, which sort of felt like directing a movie. 
it's like the easiest directing of a movie you can possibly do it's like if imagine if you had a if you're directing a movie but like you stopped at lunch on the first day that's directing a road race <laughs> like well we're done all right great <laughs> there's no post-production so i mean i was able to sort of channel the creative stuff into other places i couldn't write like it sort of blocked that part of my creative process like i would try to write like i tried to work on another script and like my brain wouldn't let me do it if that makes sense it makes it makes all the sense in the world and what i find fascinating the concept of what you said or what you just said was the funneling that energy into other things where you tr in, in many ways in the, and i'm talking about this from my point of view you trick yourself into you're like well i'm being creative mm -hmm. i'm doing other things uh but they're not filmmaking and maybe right i'm making something i'm building websites or i'm running or i'm working out or i'm you know sorting comic books yeah sorting sorting comic books there's art here somewhere <laughs> I, you know, it's like I've created the new Dewey Decimal system. It's exactly. Amazing. It's amazing. So you start funneling it, and it's kind of like a hack just to survive yeah. in, in so many ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to like spiral deeper into depression or alcoholism or both. Mm -hmm. And I already have alcoholism and depression, so I couldn't go any further into that. And I don't want to start doing drugs. So, you know, that's what you have to do is you sort of have to figure out a hack. Or you'll go insane and make the people around you miserable. Yeah, and I'm I'm so blessed that I didn't. I've never drank. I've tried, and I couldn't mm -hmm. because I know I would have an alcohol. I would be an alcoholic during it's very some time. Easy to do. Oh my god, I would have just. I know I would have, but I, I literally tried and I couldn't. So I'm I'm very glad that because if not, I'd be, <laughs> you're very lucky. I'm very lucky in that sense because I mean heroin, but who doesn't? But yeah. um. <laughs> But no, but joking aside, it, it's it's really interesting how you cope as a creative, especially as a filmmaker. When I mean, I can't understand, I can't even comprehend shooting a movie, editing the movie, and it being lost to you. Like, yeah, it, it was a terrifying idea. It's 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 the worst nightmare of any filmmaker, I think. Honestly. Yeah, and it was and it was hard to even think like, like how do you even come to grips with that? Like even putting it, wrapping your head around, what do you even do after that? You know, right. like, like, do you and then you start thinking like, well, maybe I can like if it's gone, maybe the files. I knew the files weren't all gone. Mm -hmm. Like I knew worst case scenario that the DP, Dustin Perlman, he had the original files in L.A. And you could rebuild, you could rebuild the whole thing if you had. To. I could have if I had if I had to, I could rebuild the whole thing. But oh, my God. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! No no! Oh my god! I'm, I'm the like thought of having to do that. My you know, my my like, my anus is puckering. My anus is puckering. It's not my film. Um, but I've I had like, to. I got a I got a kid, a toddler. I don't have time to re-edit a film. <laughs> that's, and that's the thing too. Like as you get older, things that you put up with in your twenties, you're not putting up with yeah. in your thirties and forties. Oh yeah, if you're 22 <laughs> and you say to someone, "Well, you just got to re-edit the whole film," they'd be like, "Okay, uh, very fine. I got nothing else going on." Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. Why not? No, it's it's absolutely true. Um, but I, I think there's so many times that we as filmmakers have to go through these these rough patches. Mind you, your rough patch was it's an extreme. <laughs> My rough patch was an extreme. Uh, you know, but how? I mean, I think that one of the things that you said that like finding a hack, finding a way to funnel your energy out because that energy still keeps coming. Yeah, it's there. Your need, your want. This I call it the sickness. 
the sickness <laughs> uh because once you get bit by that bug it's over like you can't yeah. ever it could you go can't dark. just be a drone in a in a cubicle like you, you can't go yeah you can't go work in amazon's warehouse like you yeah you it's something inside you that can't stop you and that's the artist thing uh and it, and I've, I've told people it can go dormant for decades but it would always yeah. it will always raise its head in one way shape or form so i love the idea that finding that hack finding something else that you can funnel that energy and if this road is locked or closed to you right, right now for whatever reason you're focusing it on other things and hopefully you can get that engine running enough that you can break through the barrier how did yeah. you finally how did you finally get through this dude cuz it means 10 so, years <laughs> yeah so oddly enough it was the pandemic so <laughs> i didn't really get a pandemic break everybody else got a pandemic break but i didn't really get one um because i have a day job and my wife and i have a soap business and so soap was very helpful and important during especially the early days of the pandemic so we were very busy um <laughs> but i wasn't you know i couldn't go anywhere there were no races to run there was nothing else to do and so i finally was just like you know what and i was like well at minimum probably everybody's home <laughs> so if we have to if i email everybody they got nothing else going on right now so right right no one else you is know, busy. <laughs> no one else is busy i'm busy but nobody else is busy and so you know i like i think the first thing i did was i emailed dustin and he's like did this email get lost? When did you send this? <laughs> like seven years ago? <laughs> He's like, did your e is how slow is your email, man? That's and so, so there were some jokes like that. And then, you know, I, I got something. I got the full file from him for the picture. And then, um, and then I talked to the sound editor. And I know this, I've known the sound editor since college. So that was helpful in a way in that I wasn't like, you know, he's an old friend of mine. Um, and everyone was like, yeah, like Dustin found a copy of Final Cut 7 in L.A. His girlfriend happened to have one on an old computer. And uh, Dave, the sound editor, he was able to bring everything up on an old system and got everything transferred to the new system. And then just for like eight or nine months, we just sort of chipped away at it because we had more time to work and with. nothing else to do. Yeah, and I'm like, well, we got to get this done, man. He's like, yeah. He's like, I agree. This is like, been, it had been looming in his head, I sure. think, too. Um, in everybody's and head. I, yeah, it was in every, yeah. And so we finally got it. And I just want to say to any uh, filmmakers listening, do not sound mix your film over email. Just do not do it. It's a terrible idea. That's a horrible it, idea. It takes forever. Because you're just making a list. You know, you're like, okay, so at four minutes and 13 oh. seconds, oh. can we bring this up a little and then you're like no not that much no, no. Okay, <laughs> you know? okay, okay. find a happy medium like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh god well, it was such a, it was such a pain in the ass so um yes then we just sort of ended up getting it done over the course of like 2020 and finished it right before christmas and then i released i sent all of the backers on christmas a uh christmas present of the movie <laughs> the backers and there was a lot of like whoa where did this come from like because i kept it really quiet the whole time because i was like first of all i can't if i go on twitter and say hey guys guess what and this doesn't get finished you're done you're done i'm yeah i'm just done like i just shut it all down i'm just gonna log off of the internet forever so i waited until it was like completed 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 and then just surprise surprise christmas present to all the kickstarter backers 
which was kind of fun. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's but, that, yeah. Can you imagine after 10 years, you get it, you get your, your reward. Yeah. <laughs> your birth. It was a lot of like, I just kept getting these emails like, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> wow. Good for you, man. Like, Glad so that was, you, you, you think like in your head during this whole depression thing, you're like, oh, these people like the Kickstarter backers are mad at you. And like, you know, 99% of them, they're like, I gave you 10 bucks. Um, so you should it's, like just the fact that you w- shot the film and show us something. <laughs> yeah, it is enough. Like that's, you know, I'm not really doing it for, you know, the film itself. I'm doing it for you um, or because I like the idea or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no one was mad. Like they were all just, I think, really happy that what? it was done. I got to ask you, what did the actors say? <laughs> the actors they were pretty excited. They were, uh, yeah, they were pretty, they were pretty psyched. They're finally releasing a movie 10 years ago. So they look a little bit yeah. different. They do then, look a little bit different. They, yeah. So God, there was a it movie, has some good performances in it. You want to hear, I'll, I'll, I'll do you one better as far as a movie that took so long to, to just, to, to just date, to actually get sure. out. There is a movie that exists about a killer grizzly bear. That stars George Clooney, Charlie Sheen, and Laura Dern okay. in the eighties. Wow! And it also had another actor. Um, oh, the guy from uh, Indiana Jones, the uh, and and from Lord of the Rings, the the guy who played the Big Hobbit. Uh, but he was uh, the guy. Oh. With the, you know what I'm talking about, right? I forgot his I name. So, yeah. He's the um, he's the Middle Eastern guy from Indiana Jones. He's yeah. like the good guy. He's like always helping Indy and all his yeah. films. And he's, the, he's like the star of it at the time. And it never got released. A big name. And it never, ever got released. And some, like I was talking to somebody on the show and they're like, yeah, we, I, I was talking to Charlie. Yeah, I remember that. I had, a, I had a, somebody who ran Charlie Sheen's uh, <laughs> production company for three years. And oh, he goes, yeah, Charlie used to always tell me that, that, he did, that he did a movie with, George Clooney and Laura Dern that never got released. And we're like, what? And 20 years later, it's released. It's out there now. I think it's called nice. The Killer Grizzly or something. Like anyone listening, I'm sure it's fantastic. And they actually saw that trailer for it. The, 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 the bear, is, it's like a 15-foot bear. 15, 20, it's like a 15, 20-foot, 30-foot bear. It's like an insane uh-huh. thing. But it looks so bad. It's 80s beauty. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, they didn't try to like update the bear? Not so much. CGI. Not no. so much, but they did put the names of George Clooney, Charlie Sheen, and Laura Dern front and center on yeah. the poster. As you sure, yeah, the poster's that. a little different. <laughs> I just, yeah, so, so don't feel too bad. There's other movies that have taken longer yes. <laughs> to finish. All right. Um, now, when you actually decided, because look, the pandemic helped, helped all of us reevaluate our lives for better or yeah. worse. Because it was, they, yeah, it was kind of a perfect opportunity for that. Yeah, because everybody, I mean, I, I did, everybody did just like, what, what am I doing with my life? What, like, there was so much of that. So when mm-hmm. you finally just said, did you tell your wife? Did you just say like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the movie? <laughs> yeah, well, she didn't know me when the movie was like, when right. we made it. It was mythical. So, it was a mythical it was thing. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, I bet. Yeah, okay, you're a filmmaker. Sure. Whatever, man. Um, 
yeah i was like i sort of told her and she's like okay and then i don't think she didn't watch it until it was done right so and, was, and then she's yeah. like oh that was better than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> it's kind of like what my wife says too when she watches my movies she's like, yeah I, I bet i bet she's not in the business so that's why <laughs> yeah that's, that's like yeah, it's not bad not bad it's pretty good uh <laughs> so um so when you finally broke through and you mm -hmm. said hell with it i'm gonna finish this and you go through this laborious task of rebuilding. Did you have to rebuild it or you were able to? No, just... I didn't have to rebuild it. You brought no. it back up. You brought it back up through fun. It was, we were able to re revive it. Okay. So you brought it back up. Paddles and were clear. <laughs> Man, but, you know, the thing it is. Took a, that... It took some doing to revive it. But no, we were, it wasn't just as simple as opening the file. No, because, I mean, I have, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I was a Final Cut 7 holdout for a long time. And some of my first, I think my first feature was done. No, my first, the, my other features were done in Resolve, but all my shorts and all the big stuff I did before were all Final Cut 7. So I have Final Cut 7 projects that I couldn't rebuild if I tried. Now, yeah. like I'd have to like literally, oh my God, it'd be immense. But I, <laughs> it's just, I can't, it, it scares me to even think about that. I would, I honestly yeah. would just, I would honestly just do a, uh, a cut by cut redo. Like I would take the raw cut, the rough cut, or the cut, mm -hmm. and then just match cut it. I would, oh, yeah, I could have probably done that, too. I, I would have just done that. But and I would have been... ended up changing everything. I just know I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It would me, like, another year. Oh, Jesus Christ. But so, all right, so it took you 10 years to get to this point. Were mm -hmm. there ever any, almost, any, like, uh, you went down the road and you're like, screw it, I'm out. I can't do this. Uh... Not really. I don't. There were a couple. There were some days where I sort of looked at the drive, and you know, sort of stared it down like at a Clint Eastwood movie. But I mean, I, I gotta ask. Okay, so it, did the did this just become a boogeyman for you at this point? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely that. It was just this thing that was like looming. It was like this massive thing on my to do list that I couldn't. You just done. couldn't. You were and 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 I'm I'm digging into this because I want people to hear and understand how paralyzing that is. Yeah. Like, for me, it was writing the book about that horrible time, almost making a movie for the mob. Like it took me forever because I didn't want to go back there. Yeah, it took, it's just like this whole like, uh, and I would just stare at the at the notes and the piles of research that I laid out. It just like uh, I don't want to go back, there. and it, it's it's paralyzing. And it took me seventeen yeah. years to write that book. Wow, uh, because I just I didn't want to go back there. I just yeah. I literally didn't want to go back to it was it, and it takes like so much energy to oh. any part of this process. And so to think that any of it was lost is just like what I you know, it's just hard to like process. You can't you can't process it at all. So yeah. all right, so so you got it done. Um what did what did uh, you want to you put it out? Did it get distributed? How it's uh right now we're waiting to we're trying to get into a festival. Okay. So I like owe everybody like a fest an actual festival run. So um you know <laughs> the least I can do. At uh, least at least. <laughs> at least a festival run. And then I mean it's a four thousand dollar Kickstarter movie, so it's not exactly gonna get picked up by A twenty four. I don't have any delusions of grandeur about that. But I mean if they wanna email me, then that's great. If A twenty four is listening, I'm 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 yeah. open. <laughs> I'm easy to find. <laughs> um yeah, so we'll do the festival run, and then I'm—I assume I'll end up self-distributing it, and you know, BOD it, and 
probably it'll end up on Prime and all the other places. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, it's a four thousand dollar feature, four thousand dollar movie. Yeah, it's and it's in the black still. So, well, I mean, I think it is like four dollars left in the budget, <laughs> something like that. And so every time I submit to a festival, I go, hey, I do the waiver thing, you know, I try to get the waiver, and they're like, oh, we don't do waivers. I'm like. I got four bucks left in the budget of this movie, man. I'm not. I'm not going. And it took me ten years to make it. Yeah. No, I'm not going into the red for this. Not for your film festival, just because you have haven't figured out a good model to stay in business, and you need my submission fees to stay. You know, pay for your Stella Trois. Yeah. (laughs) You know that's your problem. (laughs) That's not my problem. It's not Uh, my problem, man. So, uh, so did by the way, did once this once you broke through this dam. Did you mm-hmm. finally the creative juices start flowing again? Yeah, I wrote a script pretty quickly. I wrote a script about the pandemic, actually, but it's not like a Zoom movie. It's not. It's please actually. Don't, please don't. Please don't do that. Yeah. Don't, no. Don't, God. Don't um, no, it was actually an idea I came up with years, like probably nine years ago. It was this idea I came up with, and I couldn't, I couldn't ever figure out how to crack it. And the pandemic actually solved like three plot problems. And I was like, oh, it works now. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of like, so it's a move, one of those movies where like the pandemic's in the background mm-hmm. and it just sort of cleans up some stuff. But like stuff that like would prevent the movie from making sense where you'd be like two minutes in, you go, wait a minute, this doesn't work. Right. So I wrote that. And then I was trying to get that made. And then I sort of, it's like a road trip movie. And I was like, I don't know that I really want to be driving across the country right now with a production crew. Mm-hmm. Seems like a bad idea. So then I wrote Main Noir, which I wrote in like 19 days. Nice. Um, and we're, yeah, and we just crowdfunded that. Yeah. So the, like it came back really quickly. It was yeah. like, it was like the dam broke, you know. And all of that, and you were stagnant for almost a decade. Isn't that insane? Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It's weird. It's a weird. It's like hardly even like. Like looking back on it, it just seems insane. Yeah, it's kind of the best way. to. It doesn't seem to diminish mental health or anything, but it just is crazy. It doesn't it doesn't even mean it doesn't even seem that it was 10 years. It doesn't even seem that that was a real. it, It seems like a dream almost. Yeah. Yeah. The only real like change is that I have a lot more gray hair than I did. A few things hurt more than they used to. Yeah, yeah, I'm a lot more sore, <laughs> more pains, more aches. Yeah. Does anything yeah. Does anything hurt when it rains? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, a lot of things actually. <laughs> oh god, isn't getting older fun? <laughs> it's oh, it's such a hassle. Don't do it if you're out there, 25 year old filmmakers. Just don't do it. It's don't get worth. older. It's not worth it. Don't get older. It's it's great. Uh, as a as uh, someone, your writing gets better, but other than that, it's not worth it. I mean, the uh, there's, there's a few other things about good or about getting older, but generally speaking, the physical yeah. part it, it, it can it can take the whole. As they as they say, uh, the, running help. I can recommend youth, that. <laughs> youth youth is uh, wasted on the young. That's, it is. <laughs> yeah, I just watched my four year old. He just falls asleep at like weird angles, and I'm like. How how can you move the next day? <laughs> Jesus, they bounce. Mine mine yeah. just drop and fall and and like they watch TV on their neck, like upside yeah. down on a chair. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? How is that possible? It's insanity. Yeah. 
Um, now you and, and your new film, uh, Main Noir, you 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 mm-hmm. crowdfunded that, uh, and yeah. from what I saw, it was pretty successful. Yeah, we raised forty six thousand on Seed and Spark nice. for it. So yeah, that was. I sort of, I was listening to this came from part of the re- where this came from was I was listening to Dan Mervish on a podcast, and because I have a, my podcast rule is like. I subscribe to like 10 podcasts, like I subscribe to yours and like a couple other ones. Uh, so I was listening to him and he was like talking about how just like this idea of like picking a start date and just sort of pushing towards that date and sort of building the parachute as you jump out of the plane. And so that's kind of what we did. And so I started writing the script and I was just like, OK, we're, we'll shoot this in this window. We're actually not going to shoot it in that window because what happened was the crowdfunding campaign was success, so successful that everyone sort of like at the end of it we went wait okay so we can rush and we can shoot this in this very very tight window here that we have in the fall yeah or we could do another pass of the script and do a real pre-production and shoot it in spring because no one wants to shoot in maine in the winter for some reason i don't know why it's very la people it's very pleasant all these la people are like we don't really want to come to maine in the winter necessarily and I'm like, why? I don't understand why. It's I always I, I always say that on the show. Like, if you want to pitch to an actor, go, okay, we need you in the winter in Buffalo. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, that's or Hawaii. Which one would you rather go to? <laughs> yeah, part of our pitch was, well, you get to come to Maine when it's nice, and they're like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we're gonna shoot in the spring now, and that's beautiful in the spring. Maine is I've been, yeah, I've been be... to Rockport a lot. Uh, oh yeah, that's Rockport. right. That's right down the road. Yeah, it's boss. Oh, during the spring and summer is stunning there. People yeah. people will go in the spring and summer like, this is fantastic. This is heaven. We should move here. And then the winter we shows have, up. <laughs> you would not believe how many people abandoned New York City and Boston for houses they bought in Maine during the pandemic. And the rest of us, are we're all just sitting there going, man, just wait for the winter, man. Oh, I can't yes. wait for you to come this winter. It's like going to Toronto, like you know, you yeah. know, or or Vancouver. You're like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh my god! And then, <laughs> then nature hits. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it was a very successful campaign. Can you, you know, you you actually do a little bit of campaign, uh, crowdfunding campaign, um, counseling, consulting. Yeah, uh, I used to do it a lot, and I don't really do it anymore. Uh, but so, when you did, so how? I mean, you <laughs> going back ten years? Uh, the crowdfunding yeah. game has changed a bit since a little bit. A little bit I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't, because it's still the same idea. It's the same general principle of you're trying to convince somebody to give you money right. for an idea you have. Right. So all of those concepts are the same. I think the biggest change is that people, you don't have to explain it to them, really. As much, yeah. Because when yeah. I first started, you're like, okay, so there's, there's a website called Kickstarter.com. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to go there. <laughs> all right. You're not going to get your money back. Right. You're not investing in this movie. You're just you're giving, giving you're, you're giving money. You're giving them money. They are giving you the promise of, a, of something like a T-shirt or a DVD or a high five or something, you know. And so you don't have to do that anymore. But so that helps grease the wheels. But the downside is that the algorithms on all the social media networks are terrible now, mm-hmm. especially for something like that. So mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to make a noise. How did, on, so, how, so how did you make noise with it? Because 46000 is a substantial amount yeah. for an independent film with no stars attached. And, right. and, argu- and arguably, you haven't been outputting a lot in the last decade. 
So uh, <laughs> everybody's got their money saved up. <laughs> exactly. They're all waiting, waiting for Lucas yeah. to go. <laughs> there was a little bit of that. You know, there was a little sure. bit of the, oh, yeah, that new Lucas McNally film. Hell yeah, I'm in. Um, it's like the, the really terrible version of like when there was that big gap in Terrence Malick's career. And everyone was very excited for the for that first Malick film in like 30 years or whatever it was. Like the really terrible version of that. Um, <laughs> right. So then the next one, everybody was like, eh. um, right. yeah, so it's just it made a noise by kind of doing. Well, the reason I didn't I stopped consulting is that I got tired of people not doing what I told them to do. Sure. And then the campaign failing. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, well, why isn't it working? I'm like, well, because you didn't do any of the things that I told you to do. So it's not working. If you do them, it'll work. So I just right. did all those things. And so that worked out pretty well. <laughs> so all the things and, I tell people to do, I did. And it worked. And look at that. Who knew? Um, you know, it's just basic guerrilla marketing stuff. It was thanking people. And we made, um, I made a surprise perk. Where, because the movie's about a woman who finds money hidden in her house. And so the surprise perk was that I would, if I could find a picture of you quickly, this is why I didn't make it an actual perk, because sometimes you can't find pictures of people. I, I make a $100 bill that had the website that you go to to back the campaign. It would had mainnoir.com on it instead of the Federal Reserve thing. And then I would just email you this picture of your face on a bloody $100 bill. And people were like, oh my gosh, that's great. And so then when you, send them that they're like i'm gonna post this on facebook on facebook now so you're able to break through the algorithm that way um thanking people is a good way to do it you know you're like so one of my favorite crowdfunding moves is i had this long thread on twitter and it would be like backer number 55 is so and so and then i would tag them and it would be like so-and-so directed this film or they run a bakery or they do things and you just take like 30 seconds to like research this person which is just the polite thing to do if they're going to give you money is to like figure out who they are and sometimes you learn cool things like oh my gosh this person won three games of jeopardy that's so cool (laughs) and then you just say something about them to say you know this is how cool they are thank you and then you have a link to the campaign and so then people retweet that because you're thanking them and you're took 10 seconds to learn something about them instead of just taking the money and, and moving on to the next person. And those are kind of the two easiest ways to do it. That breaks through the algorithm because the algorithm it it's, it's in, so bad. It can break the algorithm, yeah. And then I made like a little 30-second video that had the premise of the movie and I had that on Twitter and I would just kept encouraging people to retweet that because the more retweets something gets, the like more Twitter's algorithm is going to amplify it anyway and so that got retweeted like 80 something times and that helped a lot and then in order to keep it i wanted to avoid the campaign being all like give me money give me money give me money so i recruited a bunch of um like film writers to make videos about what their favorite thing about film noir is Mm -hmm. and because i wanted to sort of celebrate those old 40s noirs those really cool like dingy dirty ones you know and so I got like Matt Zoller Sykes and Odie Henderson and people like that. And they would make these cool videos about like, I love the dialogue and the classy dames and all that. And they would shoot it in black and white. And then we would post those and that would help get the word out. So it was just, it's sort of a multi-prong attack. attack. 
Yeah. And then I mean, eventually, if you're persistent enough, the idea, I think, isn't to necessarily get people to on the first try. Like, you ha it has to become sort of an inevitability where they're just like, okay, okay, I've been watching this campaign for 15 days. Okay, I'm, I'm in, finally. You got me. You won me over. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And that's, sometimes that's what it takes. And yeah, you're always, always going to think you're, people are tired of listening to you, but they usually aren't. Yeah, and the thing is with the, with the algorithms, man, Facebook is just horrible. It's terrible. They are, if yeah. you put a link to anything now, like, you know, I have two, I've got almost a quarter of a million followers and I get like 150 people. See yeah. Post. It's insanity. So one, one thing I did to work around that is I would have, so I had mainnoir.com and that would redirect, redirect directly to the, it would go directly to the campaign. So I would put that in imagery, images so you would see the web, you would see the URL, but the algorithm wouldn't recognize it as a URL. And it was, you know, because it would just oh, be like, it's an image. A, yeah. oh, image. It wasn't a link. It wasn't a link. Right. And it was enough. It was a short enough URL. That you would remember it. Mm -hmm. So like if I said to you then like, oh, what was the URL? You would go, oh, I think it's, uh, oh, it's main, main noir. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something weird like bit.ly dot whatever <laughs> right you know that, and that so that sort of helped as a as, a as a redirecting you just redirected it using that url yeah smart and then i can just then i can just turn that into the can to the website for the film when the film's in front of it when later. the film's finished now what is um well i have to ask you how do you correctly budget uh a crowdfunding campaign because that's a whole other beast it's a whole thing i had only one perk that cost money to deliver Interesting. And that was the DVD perk at 100 bucks, And the rest of them were all digital. So those don't have cost. And so I just knew my $100 one, all I had to do was deliver a DVD. And I'm like, well, I know a DVD is not going to cost that much to make. We're talking like three or four bucks, right. you know, if I'm buying them in bulk. So I'm like, well, that's plenty of a margin there. Right. And then, just budgeting, then it's just budgeting the film. And even then, I, I didn't have my cast or anything. So I just sort of was kind of guessing. And doing playing that game of how much do I think I can raise? Can I get the film in the can for this amount? And they were just sort of moving the numbers around and sort of zeroing in on the and on did you, I guess we'll try forty five. <laughs> so was it forty five was the goal? Was the goal, yeah. Forty five. And did you We hit it on the last day. Did you like um you know, you've you've worked with Kickstarter and Steven Spark, which one are you that I work with? I think they both have their, they both have good qualities. Mm -hmm. um, so it really it depends on what you need, I think, um, as to what you, which one you want. I had done both of them, and I wanted to use Seed and Spark for this one because they have the follower system, mm -hmm. where you can follow a campaign, and not necessarily back it, and then if you get enough followers, there's some like swag you can unlock, mm -hmm. like discounts on DCPs and like film festival submissions. And I was like, okay, I really want to get to that 500 follower level to unlock all that stuff. So that's why I went with Seed and Spark on that this makes one. Sense. That makes sense. And, um, and what is, in, in your opinion, what's the biggest mistake that filmmakers make when they go after crowdfunding? Because I crowdfunded my first feature mm -hmm. and I promised I would never do it again because it's such a brutal process i it, yeah. it was great and we we financed it and it was awesome uh, and we were in the black 
and I gave me a ton of freedom to do whatever the hell I wanted. But it, that thirty days, lovely. Yes, yeah, yeah. but that thirty days was just brutal. It's. Ugh. I think the biggest mistake is people don't plan enough. <clears throat> you know, like you've got to have. I was talking. Uh, Sean Hackett helped me out a lot with this one, and he was telling. You know, he's got like this massive spreadsheet with a plan, and I'm like, I got all that in my head because <laughs> I've done enough. Of these. <laughs> and he's like, you're a little insane. I'm like, well, I've done enough of these that I know. I know how the rhythm of the campaign is going to go. Um, so for someone like me, you, I can sort of fly by my the seat of my pants just that from experience. But you really want to have a plan. you got to have a plan for the middle two weeks. You know, the first week you're going to start with a bang. And then if you're going to get, you know, if you can get there at the end, the rally will be good. But it's really those middle two weeks and having something for there. And so that's where I had the noir videos. And then also since we are filming it in my hometown, I shot a bunch of videos of myself around town, like telling sort of telling people from L.A. mostly, I guess, like this is this cool thing in in this town that you've never heard of that. And then that got did really well to actually activate the locals and get oh. the local audience involved. And so it was just a question of building the base. But, yeah, I think the biggest mistake is you just people don't plan enough and then they're they go in, they go in scared. You know, it's like if you're playing poker and you're afraid to lose, then you're going to lose. <laughs> you know, you got to go in like you have not a care in the world. You got to play like, you know, you got to play bold. And you have to, you can't go in thinking people are tired of listening to you um, or they don't care or that you're bothering them. So the story I always tell people is uh, my first film my first feature, we played it. We got it booked in a theater here. This is when I was living in Pennsylvania. And we got it booked in a theater here for a week. And I was like, so psyched. So I came home for like a month ahead of time. And I just promoted the hell out of it. Like more than you would promote a crowdfunding campaign. Like I was on the, excuse me, I was on the radio. I was putting up flyers. I was pestering the hell out of everybody. Because I was like, I wanted to sell out the theater at least the opening night of the week. And so the second night, we and we got a really good crowd and we were like the second highest grossing movie there that week or something at the multiplex. So the second day, this friend of mine shows up for like the matinee. And this is a guy who like I've known since I was like seven. Like when I would come home for Christmas, we would hang out. I would watch football games at his house. You know, this is the guy I didn't think I would I really needed to tell about it because I just figured he knew. And I'm like, hey, you came there. You came to see my movie. He's like, what movie? I'm like, you're not here to see my movie. He's like, you made a movie. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Yes, I made a movie. Where have you been? He's like, I'm here to see the Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> I'm like, you son of a bitch. And that's sort of the lesson to me of like, you, you're never, you're never promoting it as much as you think you are. Because people have their own, they have their own lives. You know, they've got their sure. own stuff going on. He had his own things. He completely missed it. Like one of my inner circle people, he completely missed that I was in, even in town. He didn't even know I was home. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. That's funny. So, you know, you just keep, you just keep talking about it. And people are, you know, sometimes they're just watching and they're, you know, usually going, all right, as long as you're not annoying, <laughs> as long as you're not being a pest, you know, make Fair it enough. fun. Now, uh, I want to ask they you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I wanted to ask you. Yeah, you know, oh, give me money, give me money. Yeah, yelling and screaming and broadcasting like give me money, give me, give me money. It's it's the wrong approach to uh, to anything. 
in general. Yeah, nobody uh, likes it. Nobody likes it. Um, now, over these last 10 years, man, what is the biggest lesson you took from that time? Um, I mean, the obvious one is like, don't give up, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, keep a computer, an old computer running Final Cut 7, if all possible. <laughs> at all times. That's just good, valuable, good, valuable advice for everybody. <laughs> good advice. I, yeah, it's, you got to have Final Cut 7. You take it to your grave, man. It's, <laughs> it's so valuable. It's, it's such a good editing system. Why they went to X, I don't know. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like the lesson is that I think the lesson is that uh, nobody's paying as much attention to your shit as you are. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you think that you're bothering everybody or that you're, you know, everybody's mad at you or whatever, or they're tired of you. And they're usually not. I mean, they might be. There's some people that we're all tired of. But um, they're usually not because they've got their own lives and they're doing their own stuff and you are just a supporting player in their movie. You know, they don't see your movie over here where you're the star one man show doing all your stuff, you know, like, like, for example, you, I know that your web, I know that you have a website and you have your indie film hustle stuff and all that stuff. And I don't watch all of it. Mm hmm. I watch some of it. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, if there's a, if you have a guest on someone I know, I'm like, Oh, I, you know, and I'll dip into your world mm -hmm. for an hour. And then I won't think about you again <laughs> for like two weeks right. until I see your name pop up somewhere. And I go, Oh, hey, it's Alex. <laughs> and then I won't think about you again for another two or three weeks. <laughs> it's just how it works. I, I'm not sitting, I'm not sitting here going, man, I wonder what Alex is doing right now. <laughs> Cause that would be weird. <laughs> that would be, that would be awkward, sir. Um, but no, it's oh, so yeah. true. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And by the way, that's also very true because even people that I follow and listen to their podcasts and things like that, I, I, I'm not there every week. I just got too much stuff yeah. going on. So yeah. either they'll come up on my screen or they'll, and I'll be like, oh, they're doing that. And then maybe when I dip back into that world, I'm like, well, you know, what else have they been doing for the last yeah. three, three weeks, four weeks, a month or two? And then I'm yeah. like, oh, that's another episode I got to listen to. And then and you kind of dive into it and then you get what you need and then you kind of go away and you go on with your day. Right. And there's other people who are just, uh, you know, that just like, oh, my God, there's so much information. I have to just absorb all of it all the time. And that's fine, too, because I've done yeah. that as well. I've gone into especially when I'm learning about something new. You go down that rabbit hole. I go down deep into that rabbit hole. So it's all, it's all, but you're, yeah, it's, it's a good analogy. You're right. Just, everyone's not thinking about your movie that didn't get made 10 years ago. <laughs> right. They've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> the, 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 as as you is, sending them DVDs showed like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, is a completely different form of depressing idea because they're just like, oh, right. That movie. <laughs> and it's like such an albatross yeah. in your whole life. And there, and people are like, I totally forgot you did that. Well, I don't know. And if then you, I gave you money for it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, filmmakers uh, tend to have egos. I'm just saying some, a little bit. some think that the world revolves around them. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying some. I bet on those sets. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's like you would, you, would, you would hear some directors talk and you're like, so you're curing cancer, are you? Oh, <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't aware that we were doing that here today. 
I thought we were shooting a commercial. Um, Do you know what the difference is between God and a cinematographer? Oh, God, what is it? God doesn't think he's a cinematographer. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and let me ask you, Matt, uh, three of your favorite films of all time. Of all time. Um, well, that's a hard one. Okay, so I'm a big basketball person, so Hoosiers. That's For me, like, Hoosiers, Hoosiers was the movie that, like, when my brother and I were sick and stayed home from school, they would go rent, my parents would go rent Hoosiers mm-hmm. at the video store when, sure. when those were a thing. Um, so Hoosiers, for sure. Um, probably, it's, like, such a big difference between favorite and, like, ones I think are the best. Because, like, you know, like, I'm probably not going to watch Decalogue too many more times. Probably not. You know? But maybe like Godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's movies you can that you can respect. You're like I've seen it once or twice, and it's amazing. But I'm not gonna just sit there and veg on it. Like Decalogue, yeah. you you can't just. It's not an yeah. like a, a passive thing. Like you know, you yeah, can you're watch, not gonna be like you put in scenes for marriage. You <laughs> can, <laughs> you can watch Armageddon and The Rock a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, so maybe Swingers would probably be the third one then. There you go, Swingers. Yeah, because I could watch Swingers. Put it in, yeah. and you're just like, oh. we watched that. That was like in college, I think. And uh, John Favor's done okay for himself, I think, after that. He made a couple movies, and he's doing okay. Yeah, he's, I mean, he did okay. He's doing all right you know, now. He's a, <laughs> I hear he's directing. I hear he's directing. Good for I'm, him. Good for him. I'm so glad. And he done I good. Put a, a quick, quick plug for Made, because Made oh, so is good. the underrated masterpiece of John Favreau's career. Yes, and I love my, Made favorite thing about made is that vince vaughn is playing a guy who thinks he's the guy in swingers but is not <laughs> well vince That's vaughn, my favorite thing about made well, i mean vince vaughn plays the guy from swingers pretty much his entire career i mean it's yeah very rare. And that's like, the movie where he, he plays the guy who thinks he's that guy but <laughs> has none of those skills at all that's amazing he's such a great performance um and vince has 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 moved on but he he does play the Vince. He plays Vince Vaughn very well. I mean, that's how you become a movie star is you play that type. Oh, it's Jimmy like Tom worked for Jimmy Stewart. I mean, look, Tom Cruise. I, I love that movie where Tom Cruise is a young, cocky white guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite one. I mean, there they, I can't pick. There's just so many. But uh, yeah, I love I love when he plays those characters. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and and let's give a shout out to Chef because Chef is the other unsung hero yeah. of john favor's uh, filmography because it's i can watch chef again and again that's yeah i can watch it again and the at the beginning of his at the beginning of the movie if anyone's watching it's on netflix right now you watch just watch the first 10 minutes as he destroys a food critic which is a veily it's very thinly yeah. veiled as all the bullcrap that he's been dealing with from film critics all his career and he goes off and it is wonderful to watch which is weird to me because film critics have always really liked him apparently some didn't apparently some didn't that's the thing like you know you get those like 100 good reviews and you get that one bad review and you're like the larry david thing where you're like oh that's it's it's, but that's the case but that's the case with filmmakers i I mean i love ridley because ridley scott he's just like i don't i haven't read a review since alien (laughs) like he just does that's probably the way to do it and he just just do you and just keep going and keep going. He just doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care to read because it's it's, it's useless. It really is yeah. useless. 
to read. Yeah, I mean, I think I was submitting to a film festival and they're like, do you want feedback? I'm like, no, I don't want feedback. I don't. From you? I know what's no. wrong with the movie. I know what's wrong with the movie more than you do. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> am I playing in your festival or am I not? That's the yeah, end of our my, conversation. I don't, I don't care what your one reviewer who already reviewed the movie on Letterboxd thinks about the movie. I don't. I don't care. I'm not one of those filmmakers who thinks that like the movie I made is the greatest gift to cinema since the Lumiere brothers. Like oh, I'm not God. one of those guys. I'm like the biggest. No one hates my movie more than me. I promise you. Like well, I, I know mean, every single thing that's wrong with it. Well, and don't forget Scorsese said it right. Uh, where he says like, if you don't think your movie's an absolute disaster after watching the first cut, you've done something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there's that valley where you're like, this is, they're never going to let me make another movie. They're never going to let me. And then like, oh, it kind of works. It kind of, oh, it's, oh, it's coming together. (laughs) If you can get to it kind of works, then you've got a pit on your hand. (laughs) It kind of works. Exactly. Can you, let me ask you this. Can you watch your movie with an audience? Yes. Because I can't. I like my last, my last movie. I, the last time I saw it fully without just skipping through it. And in a theater, I, I, I just died laughing. I, I, I just oh, because, wow. because I, I look at it completely as a viewer looking at ridiculous filmmakers trying to sell their movie at Sundance. So I just, I just laugh because I laugh at, at the stories because I was there, how they made it and, mm-hmm. and what we came up with and what we had to. So for me, for that movie, I can't. For my first movie, I can't. I really just yeah. rather not. I, I, that's I can't a, do it all. This last movie is one of those weird things, but even all of my other movies I've done, I've been able to watch them and I've enjoyed watching them with my with audiences. Uh, but it's not particularly something I don't sit there and watch my movies all the time. I'm good. Like I don't. Yeah, see it <laughs> yeah, I'm good and I don't need to see it. And then, but it's just like I overreact in my head to all the everyone's reactions, even if they're not actually reacting. You know, like someone gets up to go to the bathroom and I'm like, oh my god, it's a walkout. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I was I was lucky enough. Uh, here in Austin to go to the 30th anniversary of Slacker with Rick, oh, cool. with, with Richard Linklater. So when I, asked, when I asked him, I'm like, when was the last time you saw this? He's like, since the 20th anniversary. <laughs> 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 like I haven't sat and watched it since then. And, yeah. you really, and you really shouldn't. I don't think Coppola is sitting around watching Godfather. Like, unless, he's, 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 uh, unless he's, he's re-editing it. it. He's re-editing yeah. it. He's remastering it. Uh, and then uh, we'll leave on this. Can we all just give a big shout out to Mr. Francis Ford Coppola for dumping $100 million of his wine money into making That's this amazing. epic movie that he wants to make and he doesn't give up F about whatever is happening. It's amazing. I wish I could have like pulled him aside before he did that and be like, dude, crowdfund it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he, he's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. But how... That would have been the easiest sell of a Kickstarter campaign ever. But you have to, and, and, and well, of course, no, and everybody would want it. No, oh, no, it, it's easy. Yeah. I'd throw money in. Of course, everybody yeah, would throw money everybody in. Everybody would throw money in. He'd be funded and like, he'd have like $80 but, million dollars in like but four the, days. But the problem, <laughs> but the problem is that, you know, everybody knows that he's richer than whatever now because of his yeah, mind. That's and true. It's so funny that at 82, is how old he's 82 years old, he's, he's thinking. He's taking that. He's not just thinking about it. He's doing something so unprecedented that no one else has done in the history of cinema. No one has gone into their pocket. 
Spielberg hasn't gone to his pocket other than Schindler's List. Yeah. When he, when he dumped out 30 million. Spielberg's got 100 million like in the couch. <laughs> exactly. To go make a movie that he wants to make at 82. Yeah. That's the insanity of filmmakers. That is how insane we all are. Imagine right? how sore he is in the morning. <laughs> and he hasn't made a movie. He hasn't made a movie in at least a decade, I think. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. He hasn't made. Uh, when, was the, when was the last one? It was the he did. The, he was doing a lot of little independents. Um, yeah, the, he, he did, did some small things. He did some small little independent things. He was just kind of playing around, but he hasn't like shot anything for a while. And now he's just. Uh, when I saw that, I saw that my heart filled with joy. And I yeah, said, we need guys like that out there and directors out there taking huge swings, huge, yeah. huge monster swings. And that's as you big take the swing. biggest swing you can take. Yeah, and that's a big one because he's like, no studio is going to finance this, so I'm going to finance it myself because I got mad wine money. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone would have. Fi- I'm like just amazed that like Amazon didn't finance it or somebody. I'm just amazed. Like, it there's might, so much money in stream. You know, it might, I just it might make it. It might. There's Netflix or somebody might come in and fill in the gap. Uh, but yeah. then he came out and said, like, "Look, I'm looking for money. But if you guys don't give me money, somebody doesn't give me money." I'm just going to, I don't want to, but I'll do it because I got to, I got to yeah. do this. And the story he wants to tell about it's, it's for the next generation. I'm like, you got, I hope it's I can get it. If he'll own it, he'll own it outright. He'll have all of, I just you know, hope, he won't even tell him what to do. I hope I can get him on the show one day just to have this conversation with him. I'm like, Francis, thank you. <laughs> that would be, see, that would one I would, I that would, would be one you listen to, right? Like you would pop, so you would pop back in. <laughs> I don't know him. But I would make an exception for that one. I occasionally have those kind of people on the show that you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to listen to that conversation. Cool. <laughs> they seem nice. Lucas, man, it's been a pleasure um, for, uh, for having you on the show, man. And thank you so much for being so raw and honest uh, and about your experience with depression as a filmmaker. Because I think it's something that we all go through but no one talks about it no one yeah. wants to talk about this no like, one wants to admit it because the, the minute you say oh i have depression issues who's going to like let you direct a movie <laughs> well first of all <laughs> anybody out there who gives power to somebody else or gives the ability to we're all depressed all the yeah. all directors are every single one of them have some sort of depression even you know score did you watch the scorsese um the short film he shot uh during pandemic when he was laughing? oh no i haven't watched that yet oh my god it's so good it's, it's like this trippy, depressive. He was so depressed because he couldn't direct. He couldn't do anything. He was locked yeah. in. And, and that's, with, he's one of those guys who's been going 100 miles an hour for 50 years or whatever. Yeah, since the 70s. He just doesn't stop. He just like boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden just, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Anywhere. So he grabbed that's an like iPhone a, and started shooting. <laughs> yeah, that would really throw you. Yeah, no question. But. But Lucas, man, thanks again for being on the show, and I My wish pleasure. you nothing but the best with your new film. Let's try to finish this one before uh, before twenty thirty four. I'll work. <laughs> what I can do. <laughs> I'll do my best. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it, brother. As long as they don't change the uh, the editing software on me, then I'll be fine. <laughs> oh Jesus! God, no software is not changing uh, often, so you're, you'll be fine. Yeah. I think. I want to thank Lucas so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with us. Thank you. 
so much, Lucas. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 273. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 